It isn't till you get up there that you realise how big Clacton-on-Sea really is. In fact, it's three places. Clacton in the middle, with Holland-on-Sea at one end and Jay Wicksands at the other. Hello, my name's Carl, and thank you for taking the time to find and listen to this episode of Sunspot Stories. The Sunspot was an amusement arcade and local landmark in the seaside resort of Jaywick in Essex where I grew up. The Sunspot has been a litmus to the area that it was built in. In the early years it was an arcade and bingo hall with a cafe and gift shop that served many thousands of holiday makers that visit the area from London and the South East. It was also visited by the owners of the chalets in the Plotland estate of Brooklands where the arcade was actually built. Its fortunes have closely shadowed the changing classification of Jaywick Sands from resort to residential area that began during the post-war period. This podcast series will tell the stories of this now-deleted landmark, its machines, and discover what the sunspot meant to people. When I moved to Jaywick in 1983, the area boasted at least seven amusement arcades. These were a natural draw to a boy like me, and I pestered my parents for 10p to visit these halls and try my skills on machines like Pac-Man and Space Invaders. I could hardly see see over the top of the controls, and my free lives in 10 pence were often lost too quickly. But the most distinctive of all these arcades was the Sunspot. It was a large yellow single-storey building that had an odd-looking tower on its side. The tower was about 8 metres high and was capped with a swooshing roof. It looked like a huge ramp and it was illuminated with a string of light bulbs along its edge. To me, the building looked futuristic and quite out of place. To my eight-year-old self, it would not have looked out of place in Moss Isley. When looking into the history of the site, plans at the Essex Records Office show that the application for alterations was made to Clacton Urban District Council in 1938. They were submitted by Palladium Jaywick Limited, and this was the original name of the arcade, and there are pictures from the early 1950s that have this name displayed on the sloping roof of the tower. The application indicates there was already an amusement arcade, and these alterations were for a tower. The architect listed in the plans was a Frank Ernest Bromwich. When I searched his name, I was amazed to find other examples of his work. Bromwich in the 1930s had become a prolific architect, especially building projects in northwest London. His specialism was modernist designs, buildings that looked futuristic that would suit the landscape of Fritz Lang's metropolis. Some examples of his work are now Grade 2 listed, and Bromwich's work is now cited as a typical example of modernist architecture. Not much is known about the man, nor if he was well received at the time, or indeed what he did later in life. So I was lucky to have some time with Bruce Peter, Professor of Design History at the Glasgow School of Art, who was kind enough to share what he knows about Bromwich, and we discuss his life, methods and philosophy. I began by asking Bruce how he became interested in Bromwich. Well, I got interested in Bromwich when I was at the Royal College of Art in London. Um, that, uh, that was in the mid-90s, and it was the time when it was the, the centenary of uh, cinema shows. And uh, I, I assisted with a nationwide uh, in looking at documenting what survived of cinema buildings. There was an organization that was very interested, a heritage group or public amenity group called the Cinema Theatre Association. And uh, I, I was 
went on a lot of uh, tours and trips with them to look at old cinemas, most of which had become bingo halls and, and other things, largely bingo halls actually, which was good because the ones that had gone over to bingo uh, had actually been really rather well preserved, whereas the ones that had continued as cinemas had usually been horribly subdivided inside in order to make multiple screens, but it had been done in a cheap and shoddy way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was very taken by a, a series that uh, Bromwich had designed in West London. There was a, a beautiful one at Rainer's Lane, and there was a bigger cinema, the Dominion, at uh, Acton. Uh, and there was also uh, one at uh, Harrow, which was all uh, overclad in corrugated metal. But underneath the corrugated metal, there was a really fantastic exterior, which had been, I guess it probably was quite maintenance heavy and in the 60s also, as you say, passe. So they just overclad it. So, I, I mean, I thought he'd done fabulous work. And then I was asked uh, by the, the, the Cinema Theatre Association, that kind of annual journal it produced, very good, called Picture House, which was an attempt to seriously uh, write about different aspects of cinema design and cinema going in Britain. So the editor of that was a lovely man called Alan Isles, asked me if I would write an article on uh, F.E. Bromwich, which I did. And I got in touch with his granddaughter, I think it was, who was a very elder, she was a pretty elderly lady herself. And uh, she told me a fair bit about his early career and background. But it, 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 essentially, they were sort of a normal London Jewish middle class family. And he uh, studied architecture uh, on the job, essentially, as many did. You know, it was quite, quite usual you'd be uh, an apprentice working in an architect's office. They, they, they worked in Paddington. And uh, he became, fortuitously, in the late 20s, he became involved in designing cinema buildings, working for Clifford Aish, who was another um, London-based architect specialising in, in more and more in cinemas. And that was lucky, of course, because um, when the, the Wall Street crash happened and the Great Depression began, uh, it was extremely difficult for architects to find any work at all because the economy just ground to a halt. And so uh, jobs were hard to come by. But Bromwich, because he uh, uh, already has his foot over the door, one might say, as a designer specializing in cinemas, had happened into one of the few areas where there was a degree of expansion. So uh, he specialized in those. But I think the important thing is that in those really difficult years in the first half of the 1930s, um, you know, one couldn't pick and choose what one designed. And he took any job that would come along, you know, and once he kind of developed a network of acquaintances in the uh, leisure and entertainment industry, which in you know, often local cinemas were, uh, were, were also involved, run by uh, show families, fairground families. So one gets a certain interconnectivity between mm. cinemas and amusement arcades and Greyhound Racing Stadia and all of these sorts of um, attraction. 
So uh, he uh, then he d d d designed other things. Until you contacted me, I had no clue about that uh, amusement arcade. I, it was one of his things that I simply didn't know existed or that he'd been involved in. And I suspect it was one of several. Mm. Yes, I think um, you, you mentioned that there may be a sister site somewhere down on the south coast at Greyhound Stadium that you may have seen mm, that, that looks similar. Hmm. which has now been demolished, uh, or it, it was there in a pretty ramshackle condition in the early 2000s. So uh, in places that had kind of stagnated, and that had meant that the things that were, you know, not perhaps economically terribly viable, but they kind of still hung on just about, uh, that, that then when that, that, that huge... Um, economic boom happened in the late 90s and early 2000s mm. uh, suddenly one had house builders and you know other entrepreneurs who saw things like greyhound stadia and <laughs> saw them as right for making something more lucrative uh, PFI, so, so, I would imagine. yeah absolutely yeah yeah so, uh, um, it, 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 i don't know when it disappeared but Sunspot obviously was built with, um, a, you know, like a, a timber construction uh, ah. with 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 um, with sort of rendering on the outside to give it more of a solidic um, solidic appearance. But it was a sort of a local landmark in the area for its uh, ah. modern sw uh, swooshing roof, um, and no one really knew too much about it. So it was. Um, um, you know, I, I've certainly never known about the architect behind the uh, behind the design, and um, it surprised me um, in in a, in a very nice way that um, his uh, his work at um, at Harrow Dominion, which was clad in sort of like a brutalist um, cladding, uh, just to keep it maintenance free. When that comes away, it turns into sort of like a a beautiful modernist building again, and um, yeah, well, it's and, being converted you know, into flats at the moment. Thank you, know, thankfully. Yes, uh, I think it should be a, quite a nice uh, project, as, as I understand. Mm. But the the proof will be when it's all revealed. Mm. But uh, it, it, from what I could gather, just looking on Google, it mm. looked as if mm. uh, it was you know mm. being going to be quite well done. There were also a whole lot on the North Kent coast. I mean, there were Whitstable uh, um, and uh, various other, Sheerness, I think. There were other small cinemas that he designed. Mm. Well, that, that yeah. so um, how was uh, Browage received in his time of activity? Was he, was he known, was he the game in town for a modernist building? Not, not at all, no. Uh, one would say that um, 
architecture is a pretty snobbish profession. And uh, in London, there's a kind of architectural establishment. And the people who are in that establishment, uh, who are often the ones who write for the professional journals like the Architectural Review and the Architects Journal, um, have a belief that architecture is, well, it's the mother of the arts. It's uh, ancient profession that can date its past back to, you know, ancient Greece and Rome and to the Etruscans and the Egyptians and to, you know, sort of grand history from there forward. And um, they, 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 in the 1920s and 30s, had a notion that uh, modern architecture was about more than just building buildings. They had a notion that modern architecture, if it was done properly, had the potential to completely reform society and to uh, transform the conditions of the working classes and to um, you know, bring people to live in uh, uh, spectacular and transformative environments full of up-to-date technology and modern conveniences, indoor bathrooms, fitted kitchens, central heating, uh, balconies to sunbathe, all of that sort of thing. And uh, the kind of heroes, I guess, were some of the you know, progressive continental uh, architects, people who you've heard of, like Le Corbusier was probably the most famous, the Swiss Swiss French architect. And you know, by comparison, Bromwich was frankly a nobody. He was a young man whose name few had heard of and who was doing commercial work, you know, kind of more on the fringes of the profession. And he was doing it very well. And he was producing fashionable buildings for commercial clients, but clients who had very tight budgets. So rather than uh, making often the whole building in an up-to-date aesthetic and spending money on style he often simply made a very basic building and then put an exotic front on it ah, and, and that, and uh, that takes it, us back to the sunspot because that's exactly yeah, what it is it's, uh, it's a it's a it's a hangar building with a with with a, a, a modernist tower coming out of it and yeah uh, that's yeah. exactly what he did um, I, I think another interesting thing that's maybe harder for me to talk about is also that there was a parallel between his work and that done by uh, certain um, Jewish modern architects in Berlin in the 1920s and a very famous one who actually came to Britain as a refugee was Eric Mendelssohn who went on to design the Delaware Pavilion at Bexhill which is I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's worth looking at. It's very, very beautiful. But of course, the Delaware Pavilion was paid for by a wealthy local aristocrat who happened to be the local landowner there, Earl Delaware. Um, and so the budget was not colossal, but it wasn't as tight as the budget that a showman would have for making an amusement arcade or a, mm. you know, a London cinema owner would, would have in the early 30s for making a new cinema. Mm. But uh, for, for these people, it was a question more of 
doing it uh, cheaply and for maximum profitability. And of course, that kind of thing is the antithesis of what the architectural establishment would think in their view would be good architecture. Good architecture should be buildings that would be of high quality materials and with um, you know, the, 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 the design, there would be no particular facade. They would look good from whichever angle you looked at them, mm. you know, whereas Bromwich, it was a question of spend the money where most people would see it and mm. where it would have the biggest effect on profitability, which was usually over the entrance door. So in a way, I mean, he was designing uh, in Britain, you could say, a really American architecture. Mm. One of, if you think about the American commercial strip, if you think about most um, American uh, downtown uh, commercial districts, um, and already in the 1930s, uh, there a large number of people were car owners, so buildings, commercial buildings were designed to attract attention from passing cars, so they typically had a uh, you know, pile on name signs like drive-throughs and things like, like that drive-throughs yeah. and diners and even you know, banks and mm -hmm. electricity showrooms and quite mundane buildings we, we we tend to think of this being an aesthetic that was applied to cinemas in britain which it absolutely was but in america the same look you know if you look at an american commercial high street in the 30s or in the 50s it's very difficult to tell what's a cinema and what's a shop and you know they all had more or less the same approach of oh. a big neon lit art deco or you know, modern sign on the front so uh, Bromwich was doing that here for strictly commercial reasons and of course the cinema and amusements and all of these things were by the 30s extremely american influenced mm. So, EP was um, somewhat of a visionary, um, but but wasn't quite recognised in his own uh, tenure. Uh, what, what what else did he go on to do? Uh, when when did he when did he uh, sort of move on to anything else at all? Yeah, after the war, I mean, he uh, he became an architect of I think Stead and Simpson and Etam and W H Smith shops in West London, so it's Ryslip and Ealing and... Oh, Metrolands, really. Yeah, yeah the yeah. same kinds of places he designed cinemas. But, I mean, after the war again, there's a problem that uh, until the mid-50s in Britain, there was pretty strict materials rationing. And um, so that meant that these also had to be pretty uh, minimal buildings, you know, that they... they uh, usually were less exciting than the 1930s ones. They didn't have particularly, uh, you know, demonstrative frontages. They were usually just sort of brick with some windows. and utilitarian, utilitarian sort of thing. Utilitarian, just needs to go yeah. up quickly and serve the function, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, of course, there was in West London, I mean, nowhere near as bad as in the East and near the docks and so on. But in West London, there were still some gap sites occasionally caused by random bombs being offloaded and so uh, one had a little bit of work doing infill projects to uh, build new shop units or whatever where, where that was the case and then i guess he retired and he seemed to die i think in the late 70s but retired in the 50s and um 
quite an interesting parallel with um, the, 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 the Brooklyn's estate that it's cited on and the Second World War because after the Second World War the plot lands where holiday aspiring people would buy a plot and build their house and live by the sea for a holiday um, these these dwellings turned into permanent fixtures because people came from the East End and stayed there and, and never returned back to the East End and that's when really the, the, the resort turned into uh, a de facto residential area mm. and that's where the yeah. deprivation came in. So it's strange yeah. that the, the war did for, uh, for, for uh, Bromwich um, as, as what it did for the Brooklyn's estate and, and the, social, the social area in general, you could say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I guess conditions in Essex were a heck of a lot better than in places like Deptford and, you know, some of the... Um, exactly. There was... Know, green... Uh, and that, and that, that's where a lot of the people, um, you know, do, do, do hail from. And yeah. But no, thank you very much. And if you ever want any more, um, you know, um, any more thoughts about the sunspot, hopefully um, I'll be able to help in the future. Or, That's um, fantastic. Yeah. And just, you know, keep your ear to the ground. And if you come across anything more, it would, it would actually be uh, fascinating to know how much he designed. Because, and, and, and I mean, an intriguing thing is how projects were got. You know, I mean, did, did, was it word of mouth, or how, how did somebody who was initially based in uh, Paddington and then seemed to move out to Metroland, uh, I don't know exactly when, but, you know, somebody who was basically a West London person ended up uh, working in Essex and North Kent to such a degree. Thank so you very much. Excellent. Take care of yourself. Yes. Have a bye-bye. 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 That was Professor Bruce Peter from the Glasgow School of Art sharing some thoughts about F.E. Bromwich. Um, I would like to thank him uh, again for contributing to this podcast and uh, just with some final thoughts on how a promising architect was perhaps having his career curtailed by, um, by, by the Second World War, lack of, um, uh, lack of materials after the Second World War and then uh, having to uh, go and... Um, Build to specification during the Great Depression as well. Um, things could have been so different, maybe for uh, uh, Bromwich. However, I'm so pleased that um, we managed to find out that there was a tower that he built, 
and uh, he brought a little bit more class to, to, to the area. When it was built, it was probably an area of optimism and um, probably a totem of leisure, maybe. Anyway, if anyone else has got any more thoughts about the Sunspot, please do email sunspotstories at gmail.com and I'll be looking forward to sharing them in future episodes. Well, that's it from me today and I hope you've uh, enjoyed it all um, and uh, thanks and I'll see you again in the future. Bye-bye. Baffling, isn't it? This mechanical masterpiece which only the scientists really understand. Frightening too, for this invention, this brainchild of the boffins, has created a new disease, the slot machine fever.